electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Stocks did give up some sizable early gains. Turning negative late in the session, the Dow had been up as much as 350 points, and we are sitting near session lows right now. The most important hour of trading starts now. Welcome, everyone, to Closing Bell. I'm Sarah Eisen. Take a look at where we stand right now in the market. The Dow's down about a third of 1%. S&P 500 down about a half of 1%. WTI crude is popping 5% today. Lack of any concrete deal from the Saudis after President Biden's trip. Energy is the top performing sector. Materials and consumer discretionary all positive. Everybody else is weaker today. Healthcare is at the bottom of the pack in the S&P along with consumer uh, communication services. The Nasdaq down half a percent. Check out Apple making a sharp move lower midday after a report saying the company is planning to slow hiring and spending for some teams next year. We're going to have more on that move straight ahead. Also helped bring the overall market lower on the day. Also ahead on the show, a can't-miss interview with Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan, fresh off of earnings before the bell today. His read on the consumer and the investing climate straight ahead. Plus, an abysmal print for homebuilder sentiment today. We will talk to star housing analyst Ivy Zellman about the latest data and her outlook on the sector. First up, let's get straight to the market dashboard. The morning rally evaporated, Mike. What, was it the Apple news that triggered it? The Apple gave it the final shove for sure. The rally was sort of uh, losing a little bit of, uh, of its energy. I think some of the headlines from Europe were talking about the, you know, still risk around the natural gas supplies with the heat wave and everything going on there. Wasn't helping. Also, Treasury yields kicked higher in the morning, and that put uh, bulls back on the defensive. But really doesn't change the overall picture too much. Now, at the highs of uh, this morning or midday, the S&P was sort of threatening to break above that trend line since April. So he's been pretty decisively below that for a while. We've gone a month without a new uh, all-time low or new uh, 2022 low, I should say. Uh, we did also do that in April, though, I should say. So it's, it's not as if that would have freed the market from this downtrend. But it does show you uh, a little bit of uh, kind of wait and see and lots to prove uh, for the bulls right here. The one area, if you look at all the factors, fundamental, technical, or sentiment. Sentiment continues to be the one that is most consistently uh, suggesting that bulls have a shot here. Take a look at, uh, at one measure from Deutsche Bank, which is stocks with heavy call option activity. So these are the, the 10 favorite stocks that people remember back in, in 2021. It was an automatic win. If you had these stampedes of people speculating on upside in these stocks, the stocks themselves did well. This is the performance of those stocks right now. That has completely been wrong out of the system. It's no longer a game where you can just rush into Tesla and NVIDIA and this geyser of call option activity gets the stocks up. It's not a major thing, Sarah, but it tells you a different behavior, a different character of this market. Very defensive. Uh, and, and obviously people are, are a little more concerned about risk than the quick buck on the upside. Where are we? One of the big themes coming into earnings season was the, that the estimates were still too high. So where sure. are we on the still too high estimates for 22 and 23 as a number of targets have been cut, especially in tech? They have. They're, they're coming down, I would say, slowly. Outside of energy, they've been cut 
you know, appreciably for the second quarter. I think we still have to get, you know, maybe another week's worth of earnings estimates coming through to see what that means for the second half of the year and also 2023. 2023 is still making new highs in terms of the the forecast consensus number. The thing I would always point out here, though, is the normal behavior of analyst earnings estimates is they start too high before you get into a year and then they get ratcheted lower. And guess what? Most years in history, the market's higher. So that in itself doesn't tell you that the market's going down. If you have year over year higher earnings next year than this year, even if they're lower than expectations, that's probably not in itself going to undercut the market. I also want to point out what's happening intraday with the euro versus the dollar, because yeah. we, we always point it out when it goes the other way, and it has especially hard this year. Yeah. But now we're seeing some significant dollar weakness. It's more than a 1% move. So clearly it was due for a snack back after Absolutely. a relentless March higher. But, but I do wonder if that if we're at the point where the dollar strength has really been hurting the stock market, and, and this removes a barrier, at least, if it can continue to fall. It's been extreme. I do think that was one of the pieces this morning that had the market a good deal higher. By the way, the, you know, this is a, a lot of this is the Apple effect on the indexes that we're seeing in terms of the downside. Uh, the equal-weighted S&P is about flat on the day after being up a fair about. But yes, I do agree with that. You had uh, you know, two-year Treasury yields actually were kind of tame, and then they, they popped a little bit, and that plus dollar weakness was helping the market get its footing. You also, of course, have energy bouncing today, too. So yeah. there's a lot going on that helped the market over the last few weeks that now might be at a point where it's going to get tested. So we did take out that 100 basis point hike from July. Exactly. The market yeah, took we, that we, out. We, we priced it in for like a couple hours, I think. And then, <laughs> and then, then the Fed speak came. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Mike Santoli, we'll see you in the market zone. We'll turn now to the banks as more earnings roll in. Goldman Sachs is higher today after after beating Wall Street's profit expectations for the second quarter, though profits did fall 48 percent, driven by declines in investment banking revenue. And then Bank of America hanging on to gains, seeing a similar story with the drop in investment banking fees. But the bank did beat on the top and bottom line, saw net interest income surge 22 percent on rising interest rates and loan growth. Joining us now in a first on CNBC interview is Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan. Brian, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. It's great to be here, and uh, congratulations for taking over. Now that you got rid of Wolf, we can have some fun on the show. So, Exactly. I always leaned on him for all the banking expertise. I'm, I'm all alone here. No, Brian, it, it's, I'm glad you're still, you're still on with us. So, so first on, on what Wall Street liked, it sounds like the, the net interest income that's tied to the Fed rate hikes, that, that's forecast to be a huge help for earnings. What do you guys expect there? Well, we, we had told people last quarter earnings that we'd get 600 to 700 million and we ended up getting 800 million, so that was good. And then we told them for next quarter, for the third quarter, over the second quarter, say 900 to a billion. So then we said it'd be a like amount. What that really is, is the driving of gathering deposits from our core customers and investing either in the loans that are growing back a trillion dollars or in the securities. And all that benefits by a higher rate structure. I mean, most of my CEO, 12 and a half years in, has been in a very low rate structure. And so when rates go yes. up a little bit, we make more money in restoring that NII. What is your expectation on, on how aggressive and how much more the Fed is going to do? Well, we, when we calculate the numbers I just gave you, we just use the market's forward expectations of 75 basis points and 50. But I think, you know, the interesting thing is, and I heard you and your colleagues talking, you know, two days ago it was they've got to go faster, now they can go less. At the end of the day, it, this, is, this is data dependent, as they say, it's meeting to meeting, it's what's going on. But if you look at our customer base, the consumer is posing the greatest benefit to the Fed and the greatest trouble in that they're employed. 
they're earning money, they're spending money, they have uh, lots of borrowing capability, the credit quality is still strong, and they have more money in their accounts at the end of June than they had at, at the end of May, and frankly, multiples of what they had pre-pandemic. So that makes the Fed's jobs tough because they're trying to slow down this wonderful thing we have called the American consumer, who their spending helps drive our economy, and it's going pretty strong right now, up double digits for the month of June, and frankly, up double digits for the first couple weeks of July over last year's July. That, that's sort of my big question on, on your earnings report. Your earnings and your guidance, Brian, say that things are okay. And yet, you know, the, the capital markets, the bond market, the stock market, the currency market says that things are not okay. So how do we square that? Well, it comes a little bit if you're heavily involved in the markets business, like you know Jimmy Demar and the team that run that are. You know, it's pretty tough times right now. The worst first half uh, for bonds and stocks in the at 50 years or something like that. And Andy uh, Sieg and Katie Knox in the private banking. That's tough. But if you're in the consumer banking and lending business, the team, it, teams are pretty good. And middle market is going strong. And loans grew. Our loans grew 100 billion dollars year over year to give you a sense, and are back above pre-pandemic levels. So, you know, it like anything, it's nice to have a balanced company. So if people are worried about the markets, we've got NII and, and fees and consumer and, 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 and GTS, the global transaction service, that make up for that. So even our global banking, with investment banking dropping a billion dollars plus year over year, was, was just down a little bit in revenue with a billion dollars in that high, you know, the high corporate client base mm-hmm. you know, going away. They still almost made it on the NII growth through fees and depo- for, through loans and deposits. So it's wonderful to have the mix of businesses we have, and yet it's tough in the capital markets right now. You and your colleagues talk about it every day, and we don't see anything largely different. I guess what I'm, what I'm wondering really is the message, though, that the, that the market is sending when, when you are seeing strong loan growth and a strong consumer and you're not saying any, any major signs of recession. I'm wondering about that disconnect in the outlook for the economy. Well, that's, that's what uh, people get paid to do in a, in a trading environment. But it's simply put, the, the reality is the Fed has to slow down inflation and take it on. And they are going to take it on. And they've r- driven rates up at a pretty good clip. And they've got to keep going till that inflation breaks. And so that's what the market's going to be on tenor hooks every day, you know, as they watch those statistics come out, that whether inflation's peaking or flattening or turning down. And you're seeing, you know, housing slow down dramatically. Why? Because rates are up. But the, peop- the 60 million consumers that have a mortgage today, are locked in. They, they don't go up when rates go up. It's all the new home building, new home buying and stuff like that that slows down. And you're seeing that happen. Our mortgage originations and others were down this quarter because of it. By the way, our home equity originations are back over two and a half billion this quarter, mm. up from a billion four or five quarters again, because people have the equity or home to borrow out. So there's always countervails to this. But the, the core debate right now is can the Fed slow the, the economy down, which they have to, and all the economists, including ours, predict a, you know, ours now predict a slight recession. But it's going to be hard for them to slow it down given the strong employment. Unemployment's at 3.6. You've you got to get it up a lot higher. And so that's the tension the market fights about every day. But I think people should keep in mind that that's not the worst problem to have. Low unemployment, good consumer spending, and re- reasonably good corporate profits are not the worst thing to have as the Fed does its work. So you're sticking with your relatively optimistic take, Brian. It sounds like you're in the, the soft landing camp, which has really been interesting as we've gotten other today there a report that apple is going to slow down on spending to prepare for tougher times you know jamie Dimon about a month ago said he's bracing for an economic hurricane you sound much more sanguine than that than what we're hearing 
well, what we're talking about is not what's going to happen, you know, in 23, because if the economy will slow down, and our guys say even at the end of 22, it may slow down, go slightly negative, the Candace Browning Platt and our research team. But the reality is it's a much different environment when you have this kind of fundamentals that are strong. Does that mean things could go wrong? Look, there's geopolitical risks, there's other things that we all know about, but that's, that's different. But from the core America, what we're seeing in our consumers today, and that's the distinction I always make, is don't, don't test people on what they say they're gonna do, look at what they're doing. And in two weeks of July so far, they have spent 10, 11% more money than they did last year, and transactions are up 6 or 7%. And so when people say inflation is driving the dollar volume, transactions wouldn't go up unless people were out spending money, vacations and other things that they weren't doing last year at this time in the same amount. So that's the thing. So right now we're saying we don't see it. And by the way, most people don't see it right now. What they worry about is the Fed does its job that you'll have a higher, higher probability it could tip over into recession. No matter what, we're going from a four to five percent growth rate in the economy in a couple of year in last year to somewhere uh, pretty low this year to somewhere pretty low next year. All that doesn't feel mm -hmm. good because the economy is slowing down, and that's what you're seeing out there. Yeah, and you mentioned the solid the, the solid double digit loan growth that you're seeing. Why, why? What is driving that? And and how long do you anticipate we'll see it? Well, it'll normalize as the, uh, you know, the recovery normalizes. So, you know, remember we had a shoot up in loan growth in 2020, then a big drop, you know, when people paid off those loans after the panic borrowing it took place, the capital markets opened up and everybody stampeded to that. And now you're seeing the sort of normalize. So you're seeing the, the loan production arc across our consumer and middle market. And frankly, I think we're growing share. The team's doing a great job. But by and large, we have outgrown the economy. We were outgrowing the economy uh, before the pandemic, and now we're outgrowing it now. But, you know, a lot of it's coming now. Now, we're ba basically back to trillion dollars loans round number. That's where we were coming in the pandemic. So it's, most of it's been to recovery. People using their lines in small business and in the middle market businesses, you know, using their lines at a more at the rate they traditionally use at, it fallen by three, four, or 500 basis points, those types of numbers. So everybody is doing incrementally more. Now, is, are all corporate clients, our commercial clients, are they worried about what's going to happen with the Fed fights inflation? Are they worried about what could happen to their profit margins given the pricing pressure, the input pressure? they have absolutely but they're trying to manage through it and that's that's what's going on right now and as you talk to them it's the classic thing I'm worried about the future but I feel pretty good about the current environment and that's kind of the interesting sort of dialogue that goes on every day and so when does that tip that'll be the question when the Fed can get inflation understood well enough that people mm -hmm. can uh, plot a path forward but given that of course people are being more careful about hiring and about spending because why wouldn't you be so what about the markets group? You, you mentioned that that was obviously a weak spot across bank for banks, but yours was a little bit weaker than some of your competitors on capital markets, on investment banking. At what point do you cut back in this economic environment or, or are you preparing for a rebound? Well, that's, that's sort of, in the investment banking fee category, we maintain our number three position. So we were three overall before, and we are three overall, and everybody had a massive drop of 40%, whatever it was. We're not cutting back. You know, these things go up and down. And by the way, as you well know, the way the compensation works in, the, in those environments, you know, the compensation is relatively self-adjusting. But the team we've hired that Matthew Coder has put on the field for corporate investment banking is very strong. And then we have this added advantage that we get a lot of business from our middle market client base led by Wendy Stewart. And that is a significant part, and that tends to have more uh, resiliency to it. 
nobody right now, given the capital markets, but resiliency over time. If you go to the true trading, we're up 10 or 11 percent uh, year over year in uh, trading fixed income. Uh, macro was good. Equities was good. I think it was another record mm. or near record in equities. So Jimmy DeMar and the team's going on. So we're not cutting back anything. We invested heavily in our balance sheet. There are $200 billion more than they were three, three years ago when Tom Montag started the initiative. And the team's doing a good job. And Tom's, it, and uh, Jimmy's doing a good job driving it. So we feel good. So you don't want to hear us cutting back. We always are managing headcount. This quarter, we hired 7,000 people. And out, outside our interns, we're actually down six or 700 people in headcount. That's just to maintain the staffing and invest in the areas and take it out of the areas where our driven operational excellence, our flat expense management thought process drives our efficiency and allows us to reinvest that in the future. Yeah, you mentioned the flat expenses. Like, I know you got a question on that from Mike Mayo on the conference call. It, it is notable that you didn't you didn't change the expense guidance. He asked, why don't you hedge with the expense guidance? So you're projecting higher revenues and not changing expenses in an inflationary environment. How do, how, how do you do that? How does that work? Well, what the, the revenue is coming from the NII, the, the spread revenue, which largely comes in the consumer, commercial banking, and wealth management business. It comes with very little cost attached to it, because we don't need any more commercial lenders as rates rise and people borrow. You, know, you don't need more commercial lenders to generate the spread that comes into the business. We, we have basically been subsidizing our customers at the zero floor on deposits for, for a you know, couple of years now. It went on for a bunch of years before the rates rose in 16, 17, 18. And so as we recover that, it doesn't take any expense. Now, the, the most important thing in our company is our discipline expense management culture. We brought expenses down and had 20 quarters operating leverage. We just completed our fourth quarter in a row now, and we feel very good about what's going on and how we manage expenses. Investing $3 billion plus in technology, more financial advisors, more commercial bankers, at the same time taking expenses out through process efficiency and effectiveness. And mm. if you manage your headcount ahead, you can plan that out. And we, we sit there and manage headcount by month for 36 straight months ahead. And I, you know, whether that's exactly right three years from now, people are working on it every day to say, how do we reduce headcount out there and invest it in something mm -hmm. else? And that's what we try to do. I also wanted to bring up um, another something else that stood out this this quarter, which was the regulatory expenses, the 425 million in costs related. There were the two, the messaging one, and then there was the one that CNBC had been looking into and investigating about how you handled some of the unemployment disbursements during COVID. Brian, wh why did you settle on this one, and and is there going to be any future impact, for instance, on Bank of America and, and how these kind of federal issues get handled? Well, the, the, the future impact, the, the, the unemployment was from a couple of years ago where we put in filters to try to save the taxpayers' money because this was a U.S. taxpayer and the California taxpayers and the other states' taxpayers' money that went out. And people started taking advantage of the situation, defrauding and getting you know, applying for multiple cards and all the stories you've read in the paper. We went to help. We, we, we went to help, and some people got caught. We've reimbursed them. You know, that's what you do. You get these things behind us and move on. And on the... Uh, the device thing, as you can see, that was a streetwide street that you're well aware of. And it's behind us now, and we just got to make sure the team does a great job in the future. But frankly, I'm very proud of what our team did during the pandemic, whether it was a consumer deferrals, whether help on employment, PPP, distribution of other benefits, waiving hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of fees so people could get their stimulus payment without having to pay their outstanding overdraft fees. And during the pandemic, we've changed our overdraft posture even more favorably consumer to the point now where it's, it's, uh, it's pretty modest in terms of what we do. So I'm proud of our team for doing a great job in the pandemic. It's nice to have those things behind us. 
you you have, you're given a lot of credit to your to your managers and your team, Brian. Uh, final question, you know, just listening to you, you're you're a good snapshot of of the U.S. Right, huge reach on the consumer. You mentioned housing. Is, is the market are investors too? Do you think worried too? Are, are they freaking out too much about a recession? Because listening to you talk about the consumer right now, it doesn't feel like we're on the brink of anything dramatic as far as a downturn. What I always say is, is you know, we, could, we, all, we worry about everything. We worry about you know, all the parade of horrible you can come to from China slowing down again to Europe having a problem because of the Russia-Ukraine war to the pandemic resurgence. We got a thousand scenarios. We stress test ourselves every day in the markets and every quarter deeply into all the portfolios. We, we are very you know, careful in underwriting. You can see that in our stress stress results. Uh, 10 out of 11 times it's been run with the lowest losses. All that's terrific. So we worry about all that. The reality is what we're saying is, is you look at what's going on right now, that you don't see it now. Unemployment, three and a half to three six, three point six. Spending strong, you know, more money in accounts, more borrowing capacity. All the things that drive the U.S. economy, two thirds consumer driven, are still in in good shape. The question is, the Fed's got to take on inflation, and that's the tension going on, and we'll see that play out. But if we all do our job and do capitalist things and hire people and drive and invest and spend like we do, I think it'll be easier to get to a, a soft landing or a, a correction of the inflation rate without causing a deep recession. And our team, you know, our $700 million a year we spend in research, and one of the best research chairmen in the world think it's a very shallow recession that occurs and comes out. And that's largely due to the issues about more technical issues. But you know, the thing I'd watch yeah. is watch uh, new claims for unemployment, still very low. Yeah still very low given people's views of the economy and, and it hasn't changed much. Well, that makes me feel a little better. Brian, thank you very much for taking the time today on earnings. Thank you, Sarah. Good to see you. Brian Moynihan. And tonight on Mad Money, it's great to see you. Much more on the banks when Jim Cramer will be joined by Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon, another earnings winner today from Jim's brand new set right here at the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> Look at that. You won't want to miss the special episode, 6 p.m. Eastern time. It's good to have Jim here all afternoon long. It's a special treat. Up next, Netflix kicking off Fang earnings tomorrow, and it's had a rough track record lately around earnings days, falling after nine out of the last ten reports. Last one was a doozy. We're going to ask analyst Michael Nathanson what he's expecting from the print. Dow has recovered a little bit here, about 50 points in the last, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, down 53. We'll be right back. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Spotlight on Netflix as we await earnings from the company tomorrow. The stock is higher today, but remember, shares have plunged after reporting a major subscriber loss in the first quarter. Joining us now is Michael Nathanson from Moffitt Nathanson. And we should, we should set you up, Michael. You've been a skeptic on the whole streaming hype. 
for a long time. Sort of missed part of the way up, but definitely right here on the way down with Netflix down more than 60 percent. Are you are you feeling any differently right now? No, good morning. Good afternoon, Sarah. I think <laughs> the problem with the model is it's it's so capital intensive, right? You need all this content to keep driving engagement. So I'm not feeling any more bullish today than I've been in the past couple of years. But what I find intriguing is you're starting to see other companies starting to acknowledge you know, the high cost of, of competing, like Warner Brothers Discoveries hinted about that. Disney's walked away from some sports rights in India. So maybe we're at the beginning of a sea change in how the companies are going to invest in streaming. But it's early days in that sea change. In other words, we're going to see a lot less investment? I think, in other words, in the next one or two years, people are going to rethink how much money they're going to invest in this space as they realize that the growth is, you know, growth is slowing. So they need to find another way to, to drive profits, have to spend less. But I think, you know, Sarah, again, I think we're in the first couple of innings of that. Uh, a year from now, it'll probably be more obvious that, you know, there's less spending in the sector. Well, Netflix does, to be fair, make money, right, Michael? And they have, they have these, the, this grand plan of an ad supported yeah. model. Does that change anything for you? Yeah, so when we say make money, we, we look at cash flow. The company's going to do a billion dollars on 30 billion of, of, of revenues, right? So that's not a great cash flow margin. Um, the, the pivot to advertising, we think, is the right thing to do. It's smart. We see it as a, as a creative potentially. We want to understand tomorrow how they're going to price the ad tier. You know, how much mm. lower will they bring the price down? But yeah, I agree with you. The move to advertising to us is smart. If they stop, you know, investing as many films, they made 70, 80 films last year. That's probably like 30 to 40 too many. So there are things they can do to actually improve the free cash flow. When I say make money, it's free cash flow that I want to see really start to grow. The, the expectation is low. It's down 68 yeah. percent so far this year, and they're expecting two million subscriber loss. But they did have a, a good. It seemed I don't know just from the zeitgeist. It seemed like anecdotally, Stranger Things was a hit. A lot of people watched. Could could there be a, an upside surprise here, just given the setup and the fact that they had a hit? Yeah, it's funny. We were originally going out with a higher number, so we stayed at cons- you know stayed at the guidance of negative two million. But originally we thought, you know, it's going to get it's going to be worse than that. But Stranger Things came and what they did really smartly was they kept two episodes for July. Right. So people didn't churn June 30th because they wanted to watch the rest of the, the season, which I think is the beginning of a trend for them to realize, you know, what HBO always realized. You need to spread it out over, you know, 13, 14 weeks. So, yeah, I think people like, you know, our view is don't get too too bearish on the subscriber print because of Stranger Things. Uh, things. Third quarter is interesting, and fourth quarter is going to be tougher. Um, yeah, but you know what I've always done is I've stepped back and said, what's this company going to earn, either cash flow or EPS? Mm-hmm. So any volatility around, you know, around subs, you know, definitely moves the stock. But our, yes. you know, our issue has always been like, what's what's the earnings potential of this company? And that's why like we're still neutral because we think it's probably a twelve to thirteen dollar earnings company. Yeah, you know, 180 to 250 of earning is value. It's kind of how we see kind of fair value. Where where does it fit into the consolidation picture, which everybody still expects more of that coming in the streaming world? It's interesting that it has a tie up with Microsoft, which I guess makes a little sense because Google and, and Comcast, our parent company, are more direct competitors. But what, where, where does Netflix fit in, in in the future when you look at how all these models are changing? Yeah, we so our view is that it's going to be consolidation. You've got three media companies, Comcast, NBCU, Warner Brothers Discovery, and Paramount. 
I probably need to get down to two or three. Um, I don't think any of any of the traditional media companies could buy Netflix. It's too expensive. And the only tech company that could buy it would be Microsoft. But up until this point in time, they've shown no interest in video, right? So mm-hmm. it's interesting that they moved into you know to partnership with them. But to, to me, there's no history there, right? I understand why they bought Activision. They have a games business. So, you know, Netflix could be the odd man out of this valuation. I do I still think you, you will see those media companies I talked about have to get have to get consolidated. Um, and I think Netflix, if it does get cheaper, you could start adding some of the you know the, the older media companies into the mix and maybe they, they buy it, but they can't buy it at this valuation. It's too dilutive at, at this point. Shares are up a percent. Still down big, heading into earnings. Michael, great to talk to you. Good seeing you, Sarah. Thanks. Michael Nathan's in. Let's give you a check on the markets right now, down 150 or so. So we have taken another leg lower in the last few minutes. The Nasdaq is down about seven tenths of one percent. Energy is still holding in there. We've got a five percent rally or so on crude oil. That's helping energy materials and consumer discretionary staying positive. Everything else is down. Healthcare getting hit the hardest, down two percent. Still to come, home builder sentiment just showed its second worst monthly drop in the survey's whole history. We're gonna talk to noted housing analyst Ivy Zellman about what that means for the stocks that she covers and the housing outlook straight ahead. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Check out today's stealth mover, WD-40. D.A. Davidson upgrading the maker of lubricants and cleaners to buy from neutral, hiking its price target on that stock to 205 from 169, citing increasing confidence in the company's long-term sales growth strategy. It's resonating. The stock is up about 7%. Homebuilder sentiment plunging last month amid a spike in mortgage rates. Up next, housing expert Ivy Zellman on how investors should be trading these stocks right now. Stocks sitting at session lows right now. We're down 200 points on the Dow. This morning, homebuilder sentiment plunged in July as buyers pull back, marking one of the largest single drops in the survey's history. Meantime, the homebuilder stocks, Lennar, KB Home, DR Horton, seeing their shares fall 30% on the year. They are down today as well, even though we are seeing some strength in the consumer discretionary group. Some of the travel names are doing well today. Joining us now to discuss Ivy Zellman of Zellman and Associates. Ivy, this was an ugly drop in homebuilder sentiment. Where, where are we in the, the process of the housing slowdown, do you think? Well, first, thanks for having me back, Sarah. I would say that the rate of change has been pretty dramatic, and I think we're just in early innings. We've seen a deterioration that really started to inflect in May, and the acceleration of that negativity has just been um, continuing through early July. I'd call it mock speed in some markets. Um, it does um, vary by market. So we've seen the biggest rate of decline probably in Phoenix with the Southeast and Florida markets holding up better. So it's not across the board that the sentiment's negative because affordability is so stretched. But I think that that really varies by market right now. Diana Olick, our housing reporter, noted uh, in an email to me that the survey showed 13 percent of builders say they had dropped prices last month, even though she says that the big builders in their last earnings said they wouldn't have to. So what what is going to happen with prices? 
They're going to have to drop prices, Sarah. No question. We're seeing significant increase in incentives. We're already seeing price cuts. Again, somewhat market dependent and price point dependent on the first time buyer market where affordability is extremely stretched. In fact, affordability is worse than it was back at the peak of the last boom period on how we look at the index. So I think you're going to see that price cuts are just, you know, inevitable. Is it in the stock? Some of these I'm looking at Lennar down 34 percent off the highs. They're down about 30 to 40 percent on the year. Is, is it already baked in or you think more more bad news to come? Well, I think that because I really think we're in the early innings of what could be a prolonged downturn and we're seeing inventories which have been steadily rising with demand plummeting in many markets. I think that we're we're not seeing enough pain yet. I don't think it's time to start accumulating here in terms of the home building shares. I think that we've got, you know, more capitulation that has to come to fruition. And you don't fight the Fed, Sarah. We're still in a tightening cycle. So these stocks don't work when the Fed is raising rates. And we know that that inflationary pressure that we're feeling is not going away anytime in the near term. So I would say that there are going to be better opportunities. And as we see stocks that the builders have outperformed over the last several weeks, I think if the stocks are continuing to rally, I'd be taking profits and selling into that strength. Hmm. So what, what, I'm just going to push you on, on more specifics, Ivy. When you say you expect a deeper and more prolonged, prolonged plunge in the market, what, what are we looking at here and for how long? Well, we expect the um, overall downturn to last throughout at least 23 and into 24. We're expecting home prices to decline nationally, um, both in the new and existing home market and the low to mid-single digits. We are feeling it right now that we might be even conservative. I think what you have, Sarah, is a backlog that's at the highest level since 2006 for the single-family market. We have a tremendous amount of builders that are rolling out new communities. A lot of those communities where they are bringing on inventory that's spec, and they're going to monetize that inventory, and that's going to result in pricing pressure. And we're seeing a big increase in cancellations, albeit from historic lows, but builders are mm-hmm. canceling some people in their backlogs just because they know they won't be able to afford, as well as some people are getting cold feet. And we're seeing a lot of those um, short-term rental uh, private investors that have portfolios of assets that are now recognizing their rental income is not going to be where they'd hoped it would be or the costs are rising. So you're seeing a lot of non-primary sellers in the market. So I think we're really, unfortunately, just in the early innings. And I would think that this could be a one to two year correction, if not longer, depending on the economy. And, and sell the rallies in those stocks. Pretty bearish. Ivy, thank you very much for joining us, especially Thanks for on a big day me. like today. Thanks, Sarah. Ivy Zellman. Thank you. Still ahead, chart expert Katie Stockton breaks down this late day pullback, whether she thinks the market is heading to test its recent lows. We're down a little more than 200 now on the Dow. We'll be right back. Apple turning negative and taking down the broader market on a report the company plans to slow hiring and spending next year. We're going to discuss that. And this broader pullback at session lows with the S&P down 1% in the market zone next. We are now in the closing bell market zone. CNBC senior markets commentator Mike Santoli here, as always, to break down these crucial moments of the trading day. John Fort with us on Apple. Fairleads Katie Stockton on the market downturn. Welcome, everyone. Stocks are really losing steam here into the close. We are at session lows. Mike, the only sector that's positive remaining is energy. So we're about 5% off the, the lows for the S&P 500, about 20% 
off the highs. What, what is causing this week? Didn't anyone listen to Brian Moynihan, CEO of Bank America at the top of the hour, said even in the even in the last two weeks, in the beginning of July here, spending is up sharply from last year, and it's not just inflation, it's transaction volume. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think that's been a consistent theme that in the moment, we're not really seeing the economy, certainly not the consumer economy in aggregate, buckle. The market's been preoccupied with other things. The implications of that uh, for uh, for what it means for the Fed and obviously uh, the, the stock market, you know, basically got to the top end of this range. 3,900 on the S&P was very, very, uh, I think, primed to have a little bit of a test. Apple provided that with that downturn uh, intraday and kind of Lucy pulled the football away again. We had a broad rally on Friday. Those have been one one day wonders up till now in this market. Are we watching are we watching bond yields? The dollar, as I mentioned, is weakening, so that that is good, at least for the for earnings and for some of the pressure that we've seen lately. What are, what are some of the macro factors as we as we enter another you know earnings period? It's all those things, Sarah. I mean, you have had some upward drift in short-term Treasury yields. That's a proxy for how aggressive we think the Fed's going to have to be. Now, it's nothing extreme. It's still below the lows. Uh, more to the point to me is the sort of tactical moment we found ourselves in. You had another 6 or 7% rally. The growth stocks had revived a little bit. They're the ones backing off today. They have an outsized effect on the index. If I look at the Russell 3000, it's kind of a nothing day. It is the mega caps that, again, are kind of putting the S&P into a little bit of a tailspin. But, but some of them are working today, at least in the Nasdaq. NVIDIA is doing well, for instance. Netflix is rallying ahead of earnings tomorrow. Airbnb, a lot of the travel names are doing well in the consumer sector, the cruises and the casinos. Let's hit Apple, though, because shares did turn negative late in the session, and it took down the whole market. A report from Bloomberg saying the company plans to slow hiring and slow spending for some teams in 2023. The spending cuts would come from places like R&D and hiring for certain groups within Apple. John Fort joins us. John, how, how much of a bellwether for other companies should we take this Apple news? Um, I think a bit. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that the market would react to it because, in a way, I mean, Google put out similar news just a few days ago about, you know, considering hiring more carefully, not layoffs, but considering more carefully. And then when you consider what Apple is, it's got about 154,000 employees, most of whom are in retail. So given that sort of exposure to the consumer, even the high-end consumer um, specifically, if there's a bit of a macro slowdown, you'd expect Apple perhaps to be cautious, not saying that they're necessarily going to cut. But we'll, we'll see what divisions um, end up being affected. Yeah, Apple's down about 2%, Mike. I guess it's just that it's, it's always Apple with the news, right? When they were closing locations during COVID, I remember I was like, whoa, this is, this is happening and, and we're shutting down our economy. Now, slowing hiring, slowing spending. Feels like there could be a ripple effect. What do you think, Mike? There could be. I think it just more reflects the environment than it does dictate the environment, really. As, as John said, lots of companies doing this. What lots of companies don't have is a stock like Apple, which was up 15 percent in the last month and which people buy because they think it's utterly predictable and we don't have to worry about anything uh, aside from the buyback and the dividend and all the rest of it. So I think that's why you're having the give back today. As I said, 15 percent in a month, you give back 2 percent of it. That's not a disaster, except when it's 7 percent of the S&P. Uh, it has a little more of a ripple effect. John, what what is the the I don't know, are you are you keeping score? You're, you follow all these tech companies big and small in various parts of the tech ecosystem. How many of them actually are and, and what parts of them are slowing down on hiring or cutting spending and hiring? 
Well, it depends on what position they're in, Sarah. I mean, you know that uh, Amazon's been in position where because of the COVID demand, they both scaled up in their logistics operation, staffed up, and then uh, when people started coming back from COVID, uh, from having COVID more quickly than expected, they found themselves oversupplied with logistics space, with warehouse space, and with workers. Uh, Microsoft uh, sort of continuing to hiring. We just had word from uh, President Brad Smith that they expect that this uh, wage inflation, some of it might be permanent because they think that the sorts of workers that they want might continue to be in shorter supply. Then you look at Google, they talked about slowing their hiring a bit or at least being more thoughtful and careful about when they actually uh, hire people. Now this coming out of Apple, but that's different from what you're seeing from growthier tech, which has been even cutting back in some cases as, uh, as the, the gas comes out of some areas of the economy. John Fort, John, thank you. As, as Brian Moynihan said earlier, watch those jobless Thanks claims. They're, they're still painting a pretty healthy picture overall for the job market. Let's get back to the broader market. NASDAQ and S&P 500 down just shy of 1%. We gave up a big earlier rally. Joining us now is Katie Stockton from Fairlead Strategies. Katie, S&P 500, how does, it, does it look like we're going to go retest those, those lows, about 5% or so from here? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's very fickle price action, and that's completely normal in a consolidation phase, which essentially reflects a tug of war between the bulls and the bears. I know on Friday, at least, it seems like investors were very, very bullish after just one big up day. And, you know, we saw some names clear their 50-day moving averages. There was some incremental improvement, but really nothing meaningful in terms of intermediate term momentum. Our weekly gauges are still very much pointing lower, and that's the case for the S&P 500 as well. So we're not a believer of these bounces in general. They've lasted maybe three, four days on average, and this one has been so far no different. In terms of Apple's reaction to its news, it, it is negative because it creates an outside down day on the chart. That's just something that shows a loss of interest intraday momentum. And it does tend to give way to a consolidation phase or some kind of pullback. And this was a natural place for that to happen to Apple, which had some resistance essentially in line with this morning's price action. And a lot of these mega caps have resistance essentially in line. Wanted to quickly hit Tesla with you as well. Do you, do you see it as a, as a key to this market in any way? And what, and what are the technicals showing on that stock? I do. I mean, it's really interesting. As we come into Tesla's earnings report, the stock is very coiled up. At least that's what we call it. It means it's effectively like a triangle formation on the chart. And the triangles, they don't really have a directional bias. They're neutral by their nature. But you usually see a really big move coming out of it. And that big move often occurs in the direction of the prevailing trend, which for Tesla, you just have to look at its 200-day or 50-day moving average, and you'll see that the prevailing trend is lower. So the way the chart sets up is for breakdown around earnings for Tesla from that triangle formation. And naturally, just given market sentiment and how sensitive it is, you even saw that today with Apple, uh, I, you know, I think that could be a market negative. Well, so you're seller of all these rallies. <laughs> you're not a believer. Now. Is there anything that any part of the market in 20 seconds here, Katie, that looks strong to you? Well, you know, for me, it's like I'm, I'm happy to look at other alternative asset classes. So gold prices look more interesting coming off of an oversold low. We're interested in having counter trend exposure right now to treasuries. And in terms of sector exposure, we really are very limited in what we can do right now. Uh, but utilities and energy, those are, are the last sectors standing in terms of having both good relative strength, but also long-term uptrend still intact. 
Energy's having a good day today, up 2%, though it has been weaker on this decline in crude oil lately. Katie Stockton, Katie, thank you. Two minutes to go in the trading day. Mike, what do you see in the internals? Yes, yeah, sir. It's softened up quite a bit over the course of the day, but still not too negative. A lot of times we start out with a big 80% up day, uh, and it doesn't really buckle, and it has not at all. It's more than two to one advancing to declining volume. That's what happens when you have just a late-day sell-off concentrated in the biggest stocks. Henry Hub, natural gas, interesting move here. Pretty aggressive rally today, up almost 7%. It's got its 50-day average just ahead of it. So you see pretty well off the peak still, uh, but making a run. The volatility index, not a lot uh, to change that story, about 25. It's the low end of the uh, two-month or three-month range we've been in there right now. Hasn't fully relaxed, and you see maybe a little bit of an uptrend uh, since April. But so far, uh, really nothing more than the usual trading range anxiety we've been in for a while, sir. few 52-week lows to mention as we head into the break, or into the close, I should say. Striker Digital Realty Trust. Paramount also trading at lowest point we've seen since July 2020. One high, 52-week high, and that would be Humana. There's the Dow. It's down about 200 points. Looks like we're going to have our sixth down day in the last seven sessions. The S&P has recovered from a one point one percentage point plunge here in the last few minutes. It's down eight-tenths of a percent. Energy, discretionary, and materials are higher. Consumer stocks are actually working today, at least the cruises. Some of the travel names, Expedia and Bookings, are higher. Some of the retailers as well, but the home builders are not helping, dragging down that consumer sector after a dismal home builder sentiment report earlier. The Nasdaq's down three quarters of one percent. It's kind of a split bag in terms of mixed te- uh, technology stocks. Meta's higher. Some of the Chinese internet names are higher, but Apple obviously weighing on the S&P and on the Nasdaq. There is the bell. The S&P down eight tenths of one percent. That's it for me on closing bell. Have a great evening, everyone. I'll see you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.